Morning. Morning. How's everyone doing? Good. Great. Grand. Wonderful. That's good to hear. For those that are catching us and listening online, glad you are joining us as well. We are in week two. This series called Five Dysfunctions of a Family. Why? Because, well, I want to talk about dysfunctional families. Because if you didn't realize that you have a dysfunctional family, well, you're probably the dysfunctional part in your family. (laughs) We all face this. We all kind of go through things with the dysfunctional families because there are very few families out there that are actually operating according to biblical principles, the way that they're supposed to be operating. And that's kind of what this series is. We're looking at the five dysfunctions, some of the big things that we are missing inside our families. And because we're missing these inside our families, it's just not operating the way that God would want it to operate. So like last week we talked about how dysfunctional families have poor priorities. This week I want to talk about how dysfunctional families don't provide for each other. And I think this is something that a lot of us would sit there and think, oh yeah, we do provide for each other, but I'm hoping that this message, the Holy Spirit, really starts to challenge us by showing us ways that maybe we weren't providing, maybe ways we could be providing better. And I think it's because there's this lack of provision, oftentimes because we just don't understand one another. You know, Gary Chapman wrote this book years ago called The Five Love Languages. And it's essentially talking about how we all speak a different type of love, a different way we communicate love, and a different way we receive love. And so what often happens is the way that we're trying to express love is not the way somebody is receiving love, so they don't feel love because they're not receiving their form of love. And, you know, a kind of like a, a practical application is Genevieve, one of her love languages would be gifts. She may say, well, that's not it. I think she's probably grown up enough that now she will admit, yes, I do like things. I like when my husband buys things. It can be something as simple as just bringing Starbucks home with him that makes me think that he loves me and he brought something for me. And me, on the other hand, you can buy me all of these things in the world and I don't really care about them, but I love physical touch. And if I don't have the physical touch, I feel unloved. So people can buy me all the things in the world or they can tell me how great I am, you know, words of affirmation. They can do acts of service and do things for me. I don't care. Just a physical touch. Oftentimes from an employer, just a simple thing like a handshake is so much better than my name on a plaque. You know, my kids just out of the blue running up and giving me a hug is so much better than, you know, them drawing me little pictures. And so it's the way I receive it, but then I also have to be aware of how they're giving it. Because even though I don't receive it that way, doesn't mean that they were unloving. It's just that I don't receive love that way. And this happens when it comes to just providing for our family because we don't get them and we don't understand them. I mean, quite frankly, I have two teenagers in the house and I'm months away from having a third teenager in the house and I don't understand the youth. I I just don't get them. It makes no sense to me. Like, none of it makes sense. Trust me, I get YouTube. I understand YouTube. I love YouTube. I'm in the YouTube world. But why? Why would you spend your time watching somebody else play a video game that we bought you that you could be playing? 
Like, these kids are watching people play Minecraft. One, I don't even understand the game of Minecraft. I build something just to break something, and then I build it, and then I break it, and then I build it, and then I break it, and I build it, and I break it, and I build it, and I break it. And I'm like, what is the point? I mean, that whole game reminds me of, like, Ecclesiastes, where it talks about everything is meaningless and worthless, (laughs) and it's just like, I don't get this. But they love playing it. And what's even worse is they love watching other people play it when they themselves could just be playing it. I mean, so much that like one of the wealthiest YouTubers out there, his name is Dan TDM. The guy makes over $20,000 a day. $20,000 a day. And he gained all of his success from playing Minecraft. And then people watching him play Minecraft and then advertisers, they want to put their ads in front of these people watching him play Minecraft. So they pay him to be able to put their ads on his content and they're just watching. Or like even yesterday, Logan is trying to tell me about, you know, his new favorite YouTuber and he's like, oh, you probably won't know who it is. And I'm like, "Uh, try me on this. I probably do. And he's like, well, his name's Dream. I'm like, oh yeah, I know Dream. I mean, he's been around for a little while, but he really hasn't. He really started a rise in popularity about last November, and this year his channel has just exploded. Over 10 million subscribers now at this point. The guy is getting 150 million views a day on his channel, which just in the last month earned him half a million dollars. And you know what he does? He plays Minecraft. And I'm thinking, These kids, Logan, this is my favorite YouTuber. I like watching him play the game that you bought me that I could be playing on the Xbox in the living room, but I choose not to play it. And I'm sitting here and I'm scratching my head and this doesn't make sense to me. But then I realize that Sunday afternoons, I'm often just sitting and I'm watching sports on TV when I could just as easily walk outside and play those sports. (laughs) (laughs) But but they do it so much better. And maybe that's why these kids are watching these others play it. And this is the stuff that I I don't get. But yet, even when I think about the Dan TDMs and when I think about the, the dreams or we start thinking about a lot of these sports, these athletes, we start to think of them as being successful. And the sad part is we think of them successful because either they have amassed millions of subscribers and they have these plaques or they've earned millions of dollars and they've got these bank accounts. See, what we're doing is we're focusing on the bank accounts and the trophy cases as a means of defining success in life. And unfortunately, that's just our culture and our society. I mean, even the dictionary defines success as the favorable or prosperous termination of your attempts or endeavors, the accomplishment of one's goals. It is the attainment of wealth, position, honors, or the like. And see, that is what we have now defined as being successful. It's the trophy cases. It's the bank accounts. And and we'll sit there and we'll look at these athletes and we'll look at these social media influencers or we'll look at doctors or we'll look at lawyers or we'll look at successful business owners and what we see is their bank accounts their trophy cases we see their highlight reels but we haven't taken the time to look behind the scenes 
and understand the years of work and preparation that went into it. Where people like the Dreams and the Dan TDMs, yes, they're just playing video games online, but they're very smart about understanding what the audience wants and giving them more of what they want so they keep coming back for more. It is a digital form of Burger King where, yes, you can come and you can have it your way because we know if we give it this way, you're going to keep coming back for more. And that requires actually a lot of work. I mean, here in our culture and our society, one of my favorite actors, should be no surprise, it's Dwayne Johnson, former pro wrestler The Rock. And actually, 2019 and 2020, he was the highest paid actor in the world. Each of those years, he made just under 90 million for those years. Now we sit there and we think about that, and it's like, oh yeah, he just goes up and he just acts a little bit, and then he makes millions upon millions. Yeah, but this is a guy that works hard. I mean, one, he's in shape. I mean, he's really fit. And he admits that he spends three to four hours a day in the gym to keep himself in that shape. And he doesn't cheat on his diet at all. He is very strict with what his body takes in so he knows what his body looks like because that's what it takes to be in over 40 movies in the last 20 years. And actually, it was like the last 15 that he really went full-time in acting. Some of these years, he has made five movies in one year. Five movies a year. And that's not even taking into consideration that before he went full-time acting, he spent a decade as a WWE superstar traveling 300 days a year to perform in front of crowds and to hone his craft as an entertainer. And before that, he competed at the University of Miami in football to gain the athleticism and the skill and the size. This man puts in the work and then he, he gets this. We don't often think about that. See, what we're doing is we're looking at the highlight reel and we come into this trap where we're saying things like, if only I had that money, I could do this. If only I had that following, I would be able to do this. If only I had the opportunities, I would be, if only I, if only I, if only I. And every time we start to ask or say the words, if only I, it leads us in a wrong direction where we can't actually provide and we can't actually receive the provision. Because what happens is the only I's, if only I, it's our priorities are all out of whack. Our focus is all out of whack. Our position is completely wrong. See, the Apostle Paul even did this with uh, Timothy. I mean, if you've checked out 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, you know, the Apostle Paul is writing these letters to Timothy. It's, it's his apprentice. And he's telling these things to Timothy and he's trying to give him some instruction. And Timothy was a pastor. And, and with all of that, Timothy, as a pastor, he's wanting to make sure that the church is provided for and that he's a successful pastor and he's doing all of these things right and he wants to be there. And yet the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 5.8, he has this admonition for him. He says, if anyone doesn't provide for his own, especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. He's saying, if you're pursuing the church work, and you've neglected your family at home, it's better to be a sinner than you. 
He's saying this. He's like, if you're pursuing your work, if you're pursuing these things, if you're pursuing your profession, if you're pursuing the monetary success above your family, man, you've just denied your faith. You don't even understand what your faith really is because you're sure not living by it. And yet, how many people out there are so focused on their work, on their profession? How many kids grow up never being able to see their parents because their parents are always working? And the parents are sitting here and thinking, well, I don't have a choice. I mean, in order for me just to provide the basics, this is what I have to do. And they lie to themselves by thinking, this is, I need to provide the roof over their head. I need to provide food in their stomach. I need to provide that because they think that is success in their family's life, but they don't realize the development that that child needs is a parent that is present. They need an example of what it means to truly live a life for Christ. And they're looking for that, but it's absent and it's gone. They think the provision those children need at home is the roof, is the food, is the clothes. What they don't realize is that what the children really needed providing was the time and attention and love from their parents. And we as the parents have then fooled ourselves. We have deceived ourselves. We have denied our faith because we're not providing for our household what they really need provision for. We've got the priorities all out of whack. And it's because we ourselves don't see things the way that God sees them. See, your family deserves the best of you, not the rest of you. Your family does not deserve leftovers. Oh, I spent 90 hours at week at work this week, and I just gave them what I had left over because I had to do all of these things. <laughs> No, your family's getting the leftovers. They're getting the, what's left over of you. What's the rest? They're not getting the best. We need to be intentional. We need to be focused. Because what often happens is when we're so focused on winning at work, what's really happening is we're losing at home. And that is what leads to more dysfunctional families. Because dysfunctional families don't actually provide for each other. Because they're not providing what really needs providing. Love. Care. Attention. What I want to do with the rest of this morning is I want us to be able to look at what I've kind of dubbed the, the four positions for provision. Yes, I'm a preacher and I like alliteration and peas are just fun, especially when I'm doing audio and video and I get all those plosives in the microphone that just keep popping see, for us to truly receive provision from God, we have to be in a position to receive from God, right? Amen. It's like if God's trying to give something to you and you're not where he's at, how are you going to receive what God is giving you? So you've got to be in the proper position to receive God's provision. Wow, that's a whole lot of peas. This is going to be a fun one this morning. <laughs> And so we've got to make sure that we're in the proper positions. And so I've got four of these positions. If you want to take notes, I'll give you the four, and then we'll come back to each one of them. And so the first one is that you need to position yourself as a person. You need to position yourself as a partner. 
You need to position yourself as a parent and then position yourself as a professional. This first one, to position ourselves as a person. I want us to actually grab our Bible and turn to the book of Colossians. Uh, And in Colossians chapter 3, we're going to see something. Nancy, you don't have to flip there just yet. I've got one, I think, before that. But in the book of Colossians, I want you to go to chapter 3, and we're just going to look at this real fast. There's actually this entire 1, 2, 3, 4 you find right here in the third chapter of Colossians. But the proper positioning actually goes back to Jesus' own words. I mean, Jesus' own words, he talks about this in Matthew 6, 33. He says that we're to seek first, what? The kingdom of God. And his righteousness, which means his right standard, his right way of doing things, not our right way of doing things. We think the right way of doing things is what? Putting food on the table, putting a roof over, because we have to do all of that work. And yet we fail to realize that God won't let us starve. He's not let any of the animals, the birds of the air starve. He's always provided shelter for them. He's always clothed them. But we think we have to take on this responsibility. First, as a provider. Wrong. First, it needs to be as a person that was created by God to worship God, to seek after God, and seek first His kingdom. Not seek first our homely provision. Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, the right way of doing things. And only then, after we've done the first things first, will all of the other stuff be added to us. We got to get things right, according to God's right, not our right. I mean, this is stuff that we should be asking ourselves. Are we really seeking God first? Are we seeking his kingdom? Are we seeking his righteousness? And we should start to ask ourselves these questions. Honestly, this should be like a regular question that we have. Am I really seeking him first? Can I be doing more to seek him first? I mean, I'm talking about like spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices that we have. You know, things like reading your Bible. Are are you actually reading it? Are you reading it enough? How about not just reading it, but how about meditating on it? Joshua 1.8 says that this book of the law shall not depart from our mouth, but we shall meditate on it day and night so we can actually see ourselves doing what it says. So are we meditating on his word? Are we thinking about his word? Are we trying to gain understanding on his word to the point we can start seeing ourselves actually do his word? What about some of these other things that we have, like, I don't know, maybe fasting? I mean, fasting is talked about in the Bible. There are things that we face in our lives, and Jesus flat out says certain things will only come about through prayer and fasting. When was the last time I actually fasted? I mean, I guess I went to sleep, and then this morning I got up and I broke my fast with breakfast. So, yeah, I I fasted overnight, but... I mean, think about that. So the time that we've actually denied our flesh to the point that we're just seeking after God's provision, we're seeking off of the living word to be our daily bread. When was the last time we did that or or other things like this? Should we be doing more of that? Because that's starting to put God first, to seek him first, his kingdom first, his righteousness first. And what about things like attending church? Do we have regular church attendance? 
Are, are we serving others? Are we financially supporting God's work through the tithes and offerings like he has said? Are, are we doing those things that the Bible commands that we should be doing? What about how we are actually giving of our time, our talent, our treasure, and our testimony? Are we sharing that with God? Are we sharing that with others? Are we truly giving of that? You see, it's this putting first things first. It's seeking Him first. And we have to get in that position as a person, first and foremost. A person, a human being created by God to worship God. Colossians chapter 3, look at verse 1. And verse 2, it says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things that are above where Christ is, not those that are below. It says, We just set our minds on the things above, not on the things of the earth. Are we more focused on what Christ has given us and who he is and where he's at and where the ultimate treasure lies or are we focused on what is here and now? Are we focused on the kingdom to come or are we focused on building our kingdom here? What are we seeking first? You see, right here in this third chapter, he's like, hey, the first thing, right here, above all, this is what we've got to do. If you jump down there to verse uh, 14, Colossians 3, 14, but above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you were also called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. See, I love this because this is a run-on sentence. He doesn't stop it. I mean, a lot of times we sit there and think, oh, but first, above all, put on love. And we, we put a period there. No, there's no period. If anything, the Apostle Paul is saying, and if I take the, the commas out there and I try to make this with just direct to the point, he's saying, but above all these things, put on love and let the peace of God rule in your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then whatever you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. He's like, above all, do these things, which above all those things are seeking first the kingdom and his righteousness, his right way of doing things, as in putting on love and letting peace rule our hearts, making sure that we're thankful and that the word is dwelling, living in us richly, and that everything we do, we're doing it in his name for his purpose. First and foremost, we have to position ourselves as a person. In order for this dysfunctional family to be highly functional, in order for a family to have the proper provision, we have to, as individuals, position ourselves as a person. After that, we need to position ourselves as a partner. And I'm talking about spouses in this. For those that are for unmarried, 
A simple question. What are you doing to prepare for a future partner? For those that maybe have been married and they aren't married anymore, what are you doing to prepare others for a future partner? You think just because you don't have a spouse right now that you're off the hook? No. We have a responsibility to one another as well. And we need to be able to to do this, to be an example for others. And the way that God created things was he's at the top. And then the next best thing is when one one man and one woman come together. Why? Because those two becoming one is the best image of God that this world will ever see. And there is a right way and a wrong way of a marriage functioning. Ephesians 5.33 says, Nevertheless, let each of one of us in particular so love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. But down here in Colossians 3, you see we're, we're putting God first in verse 1 and 2 and then putting God first again in verse 14 through 17. But now if we jump down to verse 18, here's what comes next. Colossians 3.18, Wives, submit to your own husband as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter towards them. There's this, this proper alignment that has to happen. There's a proper alignment that really needs to take place. And and the problem is often what happens is is husbands and wives are so focused on each other. Uh, Genevieve, come here. I'm going to use you for an illustration. So husbands and wives are often focused at each other. And let's just say that right here where the Bible is, right here where the Word of God is, this is is where Christ is, right? That's where he's at. He is the living Word. So you're going to be over here. And I'm going to be over here. Two individuals. What often happens is we're so focused on each other and trying to please the other that we start to move towards each other. But when we move towards each other, we just keep walking past each other because where's the end? And and then it's like, oh, wait, now we're out of position again. And then you ever seen marriages that do this? It's the ups and downs. It's like, oh, well, things are bad. Things are bad. And hey, they're good. They're good. Oh, wait, now now they're they're bad again. And it, it this isn't good. It's because the focus is wrong, because we're positioning ourselves as partners, but they put the partners above Christ. And they don't put Christ first. Because when the two of us are not focused on each other, but we're focused on Christ and what he tells us to do, and we start walking towards Christ, all of a sudden, we start coming closer together. And then we find the end goal of being right here, where Christ is at. And that's the proper position that needs to take place. Thank you. That was good. She had no clue that was coming. (laughs) But see, when, when we do that, when we're focused first, our position as a person, and then second, our position as a partner, we can't be in that position as a partner without having the position of Christ being the head first and foremost. And that's what draws us together. That's what draws us in unity. That's what really unites us in Christ. And that then becomes an example to the whole world about how these, these two people with polarizing personalities, man, I am on a roll with all of my peas today. I'm loving it. With all of these personality differences and all of these conflicts, because it's like she's from a different planet. She says things that just don't make sense. There's no logic behind them. It's all based in emotion and feelings. And it doesn't make sense. 
And then she looks at me and she's like, well, you make too much sense, which means you have zero feelings. And I get called all sorts of naughty names that are accurate. <laughs> but it's like we, we have these, these personality traits and, and conflicts. And, and what happens is if we focus on those and we focus on the other one and we just keep missing each other, there's a moment where it's good, but then it goes bad again. But yet if we're focused on Christ and doing what he says, and if you noticed, did you notice that when we're putting God first, part of that putting God first was then in, you know, verse like 15, 16, 17, whatever it was, where he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. In other words, let the word of God live inside you. And then the word of God tells us what to do with our partners. So if we're focused first on Christ, the word is living inside us, then we're able to function properly as partners. So first, we position ourselves as a person. Second, we position ourselves as a partner. Third, we position ourselves as a parent. Okay, so I don't have any kids. All right. What are you doing to prepare for future kids? Or what are you doing to prepare for those who are fatherless, the orphans that are out there, that they may need a parental role model. Maybe you've got grown children. What are you doing to help your children or prepare your children or your grandchildren or your great-grandchildren for their children? You're not off the hook. You still got a responsibility here. And you know what? After the word, which is now living inside us because we're putting first things first, after it tells us what to do as partners, verse 19, actually verse 20, it says, Children, uh, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. But fathers, verse 21, don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath. Don't make them angry, but instead bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. You see, there's a responsibility for us as parents to raise our children in the way of the Lord. But how are we going to be able to raise them in the way of the Lord when we're not actually walking the way of the Lord? You see, I've, I've got four children. And they're all very much a reflection of me. All of them. There's, there's things that they do and say, ways they behave, that just annoy me so much. It just gets under my skin. Because it's the exact same thing that I do. And it's my words coming back to haunt me. It's that whole sowing and reaping thing. And then I quickly realize that you, you know what? All of these, these behavior things that I don't like, um, yeah, they caught what I taught. They, they picked up on it because I was doing it, and all of a sudden they started imitating it. Wait, isn't there a scripture about imitating God as dear children? Because children imitate their parents. And see, if we are imitating God as his children, and our children are imitating us, then aren't they in turn imitating God? But if we're imitating the world and we don't have our priorities straight and we're in the wrong position, 
then our kids are going to be in the wrong position too. You see, so we've got to get things in the right position. So position ourselves as a person, as a partner, as a parent, and then as a professional. Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Whatever work you do, do it as a professional. Do it as though Christ himself were your real boss. Because he is. You're not serving earthly masters above our heavenly master. And if you are, then you sure aren't seeking first the kingdom of God, which means now you have taken God's order of doing things as a person, as a partner, as a parent, and then as a professional, and you flipped it on its head. And really, that's the way this world operates. Because there are so many people that are seeking their profession first. I need the money, I need the accolades, I need the worldly success, and only after that are my kids going to get any of my time and attention, and only after them will my spouse get any of my time and attention. And we should know this. Anybody that has had children, you know if you're not prepared for children, the moment you have a child, they take over. Children are selfish little creatures, and it's all about them. And if you don't have healthy boundaries set up to keep them in line, they will run amok. And the same way happens with God, because when he had us as his children, he said, here are the boundaries. And if you operate with inside these boundaries, oh, there's joy, there's peace, there's love. I'm going to provide everything. But if you get outside of these boundaries, the whole world is going to hell in a handbasket and it's going amok. It's crazy out there. And so this is what happens. We put our profession first, and then maybe as parents. And then if there's anything left over, all of a sudden we try to give our spouse something. Oh, but wait, where's God in this? I don't have anything left over. And now because I don't have anything left over, God gets pushed to the back burner. And we're no longer seeking him first. We're no longer seeking his righteousness. And all of a sudden, the Apostle Paul's words to Timothy have come back and have spoken to us because he says if anyone doesn't provide for his own household, especially of his household, he's denied his faith. He's like, you're not not really providing if you got things out of order. And that means you've denied your faith because you can't even seek first the kingdom of God. See, this is what dysfunctional families do. Dysfunctional families, they can't provide for each other. It's not even that they don't provide for each other. They can't provide for each other because they don't know how to function at all. They're dysfunctional by nature. But if they want to start functioning right, they need to put themselves in the right position because putting ourselves in the proper position puts us in a a place to receive God's provision. And then all of a sudden, success isn't measured by bank accounts, and it's not measured by trophy cases. It's not measured by our accolades or our personal achievements. Success then becomes based on how well we actually function 
and how well this family resembles Christ himself. You see, that is what God wants. The issues that the world faces, the issues that the family faces, it really comes down to these five dysfunctions. And this week's big dysfunction is we don't provide for one another. What I would encourage us all to do is to think about that first position that we have and make sure that we get that one right. Get that one right. Make sure that we are seeking God first and that above all, we are doing those things. That our minds are set on the things above and not the things beneath. That we're practicing our lives and putting things in place, disciplines in place that bring us closer to God and not farther away from him. Let's do that. And I want to encourage you to just ask yourself that question this week. Maybe even every day. What am I doing today that is me seeking him first? Let's pray.